It's official. We can agree on nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. 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 Nothing can be agreed on. Because my man Josh Hermsmeyer from Rotoviz said the thing that I thought we could all agree on. The one tweet that I thought was beyond refute. The statement that we could get 100% consensus on. That Kevin White was a bust and a reach in the top 10 of the NFL draft in 2015. Josh Hermsmeyer writes on Twitter, at Frisco Josh, guys, hear me out, but maybe Kevin White was a reach in the first round. <laughs> yes, 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 Josh, yes. Guys, hear me out just for a second. Just give me a second. Everyone be quiet for a moment. I just, let me say this. Just real quick. I know everyone's talking, but just everyone be quiet for a second. I want to say something. It might be controversial. It might be contrarian. Certainly not obvious. Hear me out. Kevin White was a reach in the first round. <laughs> you think? <laughs> just, wow. Such a brilliantly crafted tweet. And I just assume that when you click on it, you scroll down and you see laughing, crying emojis and you see hands raised in the air, the touchdown symbol, fist bump emojis, the whole thing. I like the flag on the green with the golfer finishing a perfect stroke. That's my go-to emoji to symbolize you nailed it. You go to my Twitter profile, what's my location? Kevin White opposite world. I love talking about Kevin White because Kevin White exemplifies why we exist as fantasy analysts. We exist to criticize the Kevin White draft pick at the time it was made. To criticize Sports Illustrated for ranking Kevin White as their number one rookie wide receiver ahead of Amari Cooper! Ahead of Amari Cooper! Sports Illustrated! The fuck are you thinking? Kevin White's breakout age of 21.2 is generous. He missed some games in his junior year at West Virginia, and he barely met the breakout threshold once we prorated it. Shockingly close to having a breakout age of 22.2, which would have been as bad of a breakout age as I've ever seen for a first-round wide receiver. As it is, 21.2 is an incredibly late breakout age. And as a junior at West Virginia, Kevin White was not in any way impressive. As a junior, that's what we like to do so that we can compare apples to apples when analyzing wide receivers. We like to compare junior seasons to junior seasons because a lot of wide receivers like Chris Godwin and Juju Smith-Schuster don't have senior seasons because they're so good they came out early. 2013, West Virginia, Kevin White. 35 receptions for 500 yards and five touchdowns. How the hell does that wide receiver go in the first round? Much less the top 10! Because in Kevin White, this was the time, the moment that the NFL's scouting industrial complex decided for the first time that we're going to overvalue athleticism. So often they discount it or disregard it altogether. But in the case of Kevin White, here, this one time, we're actually going to overweight athleticism. We're going to become athleticism snobs. It's not the first time the NFL has overvalued athleticism. Everyone remembers Kristen Michael going in the second round. But Kristen Michael was a running back. Athleticism matters more for running backs. We're talking about wide receivers and not second round wide receivers. We're talking about first round wide receivers and not first round wide receivers. Top 10 pick wide receivers. So yeah, Josh Hermsmeyer, absolutely right.
Kevin White was a reach. Which <laughs> is just Kevin White and Tavon Austin were the biggest reaches in my history in this business. Biggest reaches I've ever seen. And they're the reason why I exist because Kevin White and Tavon Austin were being drafted in rounds six, seven, and eight of redraft leagues in their rookie seasons. Like that happened. These were top three picks in dynasty rookie drafts. That happened. And that's why we exist as fantasy analysts. So we can point out these market inefficiencies when decision-making bodies, in this case, Rams scouts and Bears scouts, evaluated a player wrongly. And beyond that, demonstrated gross incompetence in their evaluation of that player. That was our analysis of the Kevin White draft pick two years ago. And nothing has changed. If anything, we're emboldened. I'm now confident in my position that Kevin White is the greatest reach at the wide receiver position in the history of the NFL, greater than even the Rams reaching for Tavon Austin, because at least Tavon Austin has a role as a gadget player. We've seen Tavon Austin run those jet sweeps and take it around the corner, dive for the pylon and score a touchdown. There are situations in which Tavon Austin can be deployed and help your football team. Kevin White can't say that. There's no situation in which having Kevin White on the field helps your football team. And he was the seventh overall pick. How is that possible? Well, it is. It just is. It's a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. In this case, the Bears scouting department and their player personnel staffers made a mistake. Their general manager needs to be held accountable for that mistake. I don't even know if he's still there. I don't have the front office staff directories of every NFL team committed to memory, although I think that that would be the standard the buzzards would set for me. I need to know every player's personal backstory before I start talking. And I need to know every staff member on every NFL franchise across the NFL before I'm allowed to have an opinion. So I am looking at my Twitter timeline, enjoying this tweet by Josh Hermsmeyer, relishing it. And then we scroll down and we realize, oh no, 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 no. There's not consensus. No, individuals in the community are refuting this. And we're not sure if Kevin White was a reach yet. We're not sure yet. Guess who it was? Guess who raised his hand and said, I'm not so sure. I have heard you out, Josh, and I disagree. You can probably guess who that person is, can't you? You can. I know you can. I you can guess. It's Mike Clay, because of course it's Mike Clay. Of course. Mike Clay said this is weird to me. He's played five games. I don't think it's fair to say they made a bad pick because he's hurt. We're not saying it was a bad pick because he's hurt, Mike. We're saying he was a bad pick because it was an incredibly egregious reach taking Kevin White with the seventh overall pick when Kevin White does not have an impressive prospect profile. That's our job, to evaluate prospect profiles, and then create a lifetime value projection for every player. When we do that at playerprofiler.com, we then turn those projections into dynasty rankings. Go to our rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And you can see where we have Kevin White. And my tip for you is to just keep scrolling. If you can't find Kevin White, just keep scrolling. If you can't find Kevin White, just keep scrolling. And if you can't find Kevin White, just keep scrolling. And I know what you're thinking. Well, everyone's wrong. You were wrong about Jordan Howard last year, and Mike Clay was right about Jordan Howard, Matt Kelly. Those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. 
course I'm not infallible. Everyone makes mistakes. The question is, what was your process? And even beyond that, do you have a process? Like before we can even talk about process, the question is, is there a process? And with Mike Clay, I don't think there's a process there. I think he's just looking at the draft pick. He was the seventh overall pick. How long must a player struggle before Mike Clay realizes that the NFL scouting industrial complex made a mistake? And how long is it going to take Mike Clay to realize that there's more to prospect evaluation than just looking at their draft capital? Because I don't think Mike Clay's analysis of players goes beyond draft capital. How do I know that? Listen to his comments on Tyrell Williams' ADP on the Rotoviz podcast. Mike Clay thinks that Tyrell Williams is currently being overdrafted in redraft. Tyrell Williams, a wide receiver that had a better prospect profile when he came into the NFL than Kevin White did. But what he didn't have was draft capital. That was the only place that you could look at on the Tyrell Williams profile and say, here, this one data point is where Kevin White is superior to Tyrell Williams. Because that's it. All the other data points point to Tyrell Williams being a superior prospect. And you're talking about rationalizations. Oh, well, it was an injury. He's been hurt. We can't judge a player for only five games. Well, well, yes, we can. It's just you have to discount that judgment because it's not a full sample size. But absolutely, a player's performance on the field matters. Even if it's one game, it's information that we can use. Kevin White on the field last year posted a negative 32.5 production premium. That's as bad as any wide receiver in the NFL. Kevin White was the least efficient wide receiver in the NFL when evaluating his efficiency on any given down and distance against league average. That's what our production premium does. And you might say, well, okay, that's fine, but you can blame quarterback play. Well, no, you can't because we also have target premium, which just looks at Kevin White's per target efficiency against the other receivers in the Bears passing game, like Cameron Meredith, a far superior wide receiver. Negative 36.7% target premium was outside the top 100. Kevin White's yards per target was 5.2. That's a riddle. It's a riddle how a wide receiver can post a 5.2 yards per target. (laughs) But in this one case... Because he was a top 10 pick, this is the case. This is when Mike Clay is going to throw out the small sample size. Sure didn't have a problem criticizing Jeremy Lankford and his inefficiency in a small sample size last year. But in this case, this is Kevin White. It's a top 10 pick. He's certainly better than Tyrell Williams, who was undrafted. If he's undrafted, he can't be good. He just can't be good if you went undrafted. There's too much intellectual firepower across the NFL's scouting landscape for them to overlook such a talented wide receiver. There must be something wrong with him. I just do not believe that Tyrell Williams is hashtag good at football. And I'm Mike Clay, so it must be right. I am one of the leaders in the football analytics community, particularly fantasy football. Who's a more respected analytical fantasy football mind than Mike Clay? No one! No one. And when I look at Kevin White, I see a seventh overall pick who's been hurt. Case closed. When I look at Tyrell Williams, I see an undrafted free agent. Worthless. Get out of my face, Tyrell Williams. You went undrafted. You can't possibly be good.
Tyrell Williams ADP slot 111 on MFL 10s. It's too high, according to Mike Clay. He's being overdrafted, going after Latavius Murray, Adam Thielen, and Martellus Bennett. He's being overdrafted there, clearly, right? I mean, the fuck is Mike Clay talking about? Tyrell Williams has a 1040, 98th percentile catch radius. He's one of the most athletic wide receivers of the NFL, coming off a thousand yard season tethered to Phillip Rivers. But Mike Clay's more interested in Mike Williams because Mike Williams was drafted in the top 10. And that's all that matters. So here we see the process is revealed, or in this case, the lack of a process is revealed. The emperor has no clothes. He's just out there faking it, sorting players by draft slot. A thought leader in the fantasy football analytics community. Get the hell out of here and take Kevin White with you. And I just finished the final patron league dynasty startup. And I love these patron dynasty startups. You want to become a patron and be part of a Roto Underworld sponsored listener league? Go to patreon.com, search Podfather, join the community. Every day, new listeners are joining the community and they're interacting on our message board. Lots of topics. Who do you think clued me in to Mike Clay's ridiculous Tyrell Williams' overrated take? The patrons. They're the little birds whispering in my ear on Patreon.com. They are the secret producers of the show. They're the ones that actually want the show to continue and care the most about its existence. And they've proven it by contributing to the show's production, both monetary contributions and content contributions on Patreon.com. And if you genuinely care about the show, you're obligated to go to Patreon.com and support it. That's the new way podcasts are able to survive. Without them, a small fraction of this audience, this show wouldn't exist. They are the giants that the rest of you are standing on. And to show my appreciation, I've created these listener leagues. And the beauty of the listener leagues is all these players that we know are overrated, like Kevin White, they slip and slip and slip and slip. So when you look at the list of players available in these drafts sorted by ADP, it's Laquan Treadwell, it's Kevin White, it's all these guys that Mike Clay is touting for no reason other than their draft slot. And it just fills me with so much pride to see that. And the last draft that we just completed was on Reality Sports Online. I love Reality Sports Online. It was by far and away the easiest platform for me to set up a listener league on. And what was interesting was it was a live auction. So the startup was a live auction. And not only were we bidding on players auction style, we were also determining how many years we wanted to sign them. So if you signed a player to a four-year deal, you were able to spread out the money you owed him over four years and you could afford more players in year one. So some people are stacked, but they're on the hook to pay these players for four years. I chose a different approach. I decided to sign the best players I could to the shortest contracts possible. So I have AJ Green on a one-year deal. I have Ben Roethlisberger on a one-year deal. I have Tyrod Taylor on a one-year deal. Reality Sports Online is super configurable. We set up a two-quarterback league, 12 teams, very deep rosters. So you have all the flexibility that you want on Reality Sports Online without the complexity of some of these other platforms, which are just mind-numbing to configure as a commissioner. 
So I love the contract functionality, love the free agent auction room. It's such a cool platform. I highly recommend it. Check it out. Go to Reality Sports Online, set up a league, and when you do, use that promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 10% discount. Now, these patron leagues are predominantly supporters of the show. Some of them are supporters of the website. We have a number of volunteers that help to keep playerprofiler.com up to date and up and running. These are the real heroes of the underworld. Oftentimes, it's a thankless job. They just take pride in curating what is becoming one of the most popular sites in fantasy football, playerprofiler.com. And today, we're going to talk to one of those key individuals. He also happens to be a writer for playerprofiler.com and has a deep knowledge of players and player valuation. His name's Eric McClung, and you can follow him at Eric McClung on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. My man, Eric McClung. He's a writer and Mr. Everything at PlayerProfiler.com. Eric McClung, talk to me. Wow, thank you. That's a, a great, <laughs> Mr. Everything, that's a, that's a great title. I don't, uh, can't really say I'm worthy of that, but it is fantastic to be here. Uh, you know, your last couple. You do a lot of things, man. You do a lot of things. I think you're worthy of that moniker for sure. Thank you. you. You throw down the challenges, and uh, I answer the bell. So yeah, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, I, you know, certainly take pride in, in helping out and, and, you know, helping you with this phenomenal enterprise, and including coming on the show today. So thank you so much. This is a an awesome opportunity. You know, you've compared it to young comedians coming on the Howard Stern show. I think that is uh, a great analogy, and, and that's uh, well, self-serving is what it is. Well, that <laughs> that too as well. I remember emailing you, you know, you would talk on the show, you were looking for writers and, and uh, people to, to chart games and things for the site, and I emailed you, and I think early on in our conversations, I, I definitely compared this to sort of the Howard Stern of fantasy football, and I, I meant that very sincerely, so. Uh, Great point. Jacob Rickrode from Rotoviz also mentioned the Howard Stern show when talking about this show, so I didn't make that up. No. I didn't make that up as some self-aggrandizing title. Not at all. It's a Others bequeathed the title on to me, and I'm simply passing it along. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. One of the great things that you do on playerprofiler.com are some of these headshots. Like We get some really cool headshots, and they're not easy to do in Photoshop to get some of these guys that have been photographed very little up until the NFL draft, and you find these photos of these guys, and you crop them down, you get them to look just right for the site. That is a skill, my friend. That's why you're Mr. Everything. You do it all. You write articles, you chart games, you Photoshop these photos. You're the man, and now you're on the Underworld Pod. And I want to talk about CJ Proceis. Because I'm looking at ADPs on MyFantasyLeague.com, the MFL 10 ADPs. Eddie Lacy checking in at slot 69, which is just perfect. Nice. CJ Proceis at slot 94. So where should we have CJ Proceis ranked in redraft? Is that a value? Slot 94 feels like a value to me. Yeah, I definitely like him as a, as a top 100 guy. You know, it's, it's amazing. Really, nobody knows where to put CJ Proceis. Prosize. If you go to Fantasy Pros and take a look at their rankers, uh, Prosize, the range is huge. He's as uh, as high as running back 26, as low as running back 
56. 56? Who did that? Which quote-unquote pro slotted in CJ Procise in the number 56 position? Who? <laughs> that, that I don't know, but that information is available publicly. I need names. <laughs> that person will be ridiculed on this show. Uh, they're certainly worthy of Running back 56. Get out of here. Yeah, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I definitely would take him as a top 100 guy. I certainly like him much closer to RB, you know, 25 than than in the 50s. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy and, and a phenomenal value. Yeah, Lacey going at, at 69, and you know that's in my notes as well. And and I you know I don't want to get sidetracked right away here, but you know the thing about 69, you know everybody, you know 69 nice. Is 69 really nice? I mean, who's really doing 69? Are you talking about the sexual position, or are you talking about drafting Eddie Lacy at the end of the sixth round? Well, yeah, I mean, Lacy, <laughs> I definitely am not going to take Lacy at that point. But in terms of the sexual position, I mean, is that just as overrated as taking Lacy at pick 69? No, the most overrated sexual act is the Mile High Club, because no one wants to have sex in one of those little tiny, dirty bathrooms that are on airplanes. They're unsanitary, and they're super confined, and it's not an accomplishment. There's no difference. Having sex up in the air as opposed to having sex on the ground, it's not any better. Yeah. You're risking embarrassment. Great. I mean, what are you, 16 years old? You get off on risking embarrassment? Why? So that you can have your face up against (laughs) a dirty airplane mirror? Yeah, and a change in altitude doesn't really do it for me, so... Uh, I'm perfectly fine on the ground. I'm glad that you're fine, Eric. I'm glad that you're fine on the ground. Mrs. McClung, I'm sure, is uh, is pleased whenever you decide to go there. And as far as 69 goes, I can't remember the last time, and it never really crosses my mind. I'm sure I've done it before. But here's the thing. It's not memorable. No. I don't remember ever doing it. I'm sure I've done it probably a lot because, you know, I mean... But it's just not something I remember. There's other places and positions that I remember very vividly, not any of the 69 variety. But let's get back to Eddie Lacy, shall we? Yes, absolutely. And I don't think Mrs. McClung is going to want to hear this this portion of the, of the program. You went there. I think you had it in your head that this was like Howard Stern, so you wanted to you wanted to get in there. Yes, the Howard Stern talk. With your sexual innuendo that just became graphic <laughs> sexual conversation, which is not something we typically do on the show. Now, CJ Procise yes. is perceived to be injury prone, yet Eddie Lace is the guy that keeps missing seasons due to injury. So is CJ Procise more injury prone than Eddie Lacy? No, I don't think so. And, and really one of the great functions of the site, one of the, the features that you know maybe gets a little bit overlooked, if you scroll all the way down on the player page, you, take a, you can take a look at injury history. And what's really cool, the way you have it set up, it's not just games missed, but it's just when they show up on the injury report. And if you take a look at Eddie Lacy, a guy who we know has a lot of weight problems, those ankles have shown up on the injury report time and time again. Four weeks on the injury report with ankle sprain in 2013, three more weeks in 2015, and of course has the surgery last year. So this is a very, very big man. That's a great point. He is 
an oversized running back at 250 pounds. Best case scenario, 250 pounds. I mean, he has to cut weight to get to 250. And the funny thing that we're going to do on playerprofiler.com is every time Eddie Lacy weighs in, we're going to update his weight on playerprofiler.com. So it's always going to be accurate up to the last time Eddie Lacy weighed in. We will be tracking it on playerprofiler.com for the public. But of course, CJ Prosites is not more injury prone than Eddie Lacy. CJ Prosites was hurt in his first year in the NFL, as a lot of rookie running backs are hurt. It's an acclimation project to get your body used to the viciousness of NFL collisions. And a lot of rookies get hurt. It's just what happens. Matt Forte was known as a very durable running back later in his career, but he missed a lot of games in his first couple of years, knee sprains and high ankle sprains, because it's hard to play running back in the NFL. Look at Frank Gore. All of Frank Gore's games missed were in the first couple of years of his career. C.J. Procise has prototypical workhorse size in the NFL. He's 220 pounds. He wasn't hurt at Notre Dame. He just happened to experience an injury in his first year in the NFL, as many players do in their first year in the NFL. That doesn't mean he's injury prone, yet you look at the medical history report on Eddie Lacy on playerprofiler.com, as you said, and you start to see patterns that concern me. Number one, the ankle sprains. Number two, the concussions. So he's experienced multiple concussions and a litany of ankle issues that included surgery. And now he's 250 pounds. That extra weight not only saps your explosiveness, it also puts extra strain on your connective tissue. So I believe Eddie Lacy is much more injury prone than CJ Prosize, and I think that their ADPs should be flipped. Eddie Lacy should be going off the board around slot 100, and CJ Prosize should be going off the board around slot 70. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing with Lacy... Uh, you know, he he got his first weigh-in. He passed that. Okay, great. You know, we put the first sticker on your potty training chart, and, and you move on. But if this guy continues to eat himself out of the league, if he doesn't make the next weight or the weight after that, Seattle's a team that Pete Carroll's not a guy that's going to mess around and can get rid of this guy pretty easily. So it just doesn't make any sense where he's going right now this early. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily see the fit. Uh, I understand Marshawn Lynch you know, we, we love seeing the breaking tackles, and, and Lacey, you know, has had some of that too. But this offensive line is, is a total mess, and with Lacey being as big as he is, is a guy that needs some runway to really get moving. So if you have a guy like, like Procise, and, you know, we talk about weight, Procise is 220. And he's nimble. That's what you need in that backfield is a nimble running back because there's just so much penetration. That's C.J. Procise. That's not Eddie Lacey. Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the best way, you know, I think, in, in this day and age where you can beat a, a, a pass rush is to have, you know, in the shotgun, have that, that scat back type of guy sitting next to a guy like Russell Wilson. He can just flick the ball away, you know, if, if that rush is, is coming after him. You know, instead of Russell Wilson running around for his life, taking hits unnecessarily, let's just dump it off to Procise. Right. Get Procise the ball in the passing game out away from the defensive linemen and the linebackers. C.J. Procise's skill set can counteract the failing of the offensive line in a way that Eddie Lacy cannot. Eddie Lacy can only be successful if the offensive line is preventing penetration. Otherwise, he's going to get dropped in the backfield. 
So the last thing you want is the between the tackles grinder on a team that can't run block. That's always worst case scenario. So no, I'm not drafting Eddie Lacy unless he falls precipitously and I already have CJ Procise because I've talked about him multiple shows consecutively. I want to lock up backfields on efficient offenses. And this qualifies as one of those. Even though their offensive line is one of the worst run-blocking units in the NFL, it's still an efficient offense overall, and they visit the red zone a lot. So I still like the offense. I still want assets in that backfield. So if Eddie Lacy gets incredibly inexpensive somehow, some way, I'm happy to acquire him and pair him with CJ Prosize. It's more of a dynasty play for me. I won't own Eddie Lacy in any redraft leagues, but I already own him in multiple dynasty leagues in which I already had CJ Prosize on the roster. And I'm always seeking that running back tandem, especially in dynasty. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It's, uh, you know, in, in terms of handcuffing, uh, you know, that's, you know, I, I hate doing that in, in redraft. But yeah, I mean, it certainly makes a lot of sense. I think a lot more sense in dynasty. I mean, there's, there's people out there that are going to definitely disagree with that. But I think it just makes more sense in a redraft situation. You know, you're, you're basically just essentially slicing off one roster spot. Whereas in dynasty, where you're going to have a lot more roster spots, it, I think it makes a lot more sense to accommodate something like a handcuff. Right. In Dynasty, the last couple of years, you couldn't just go to the waiver wire and pick up Bilal Powell. He was already owned. The best you could hope for was Tim Hightower, and there were 11 other owners bidding for Tim Hightower. So it's not as easy to stream your deficiencies in Dynasty as it is in Redraft. That's why I'm much more likely to have a running back pairing to monopolize the backfield in Dynasty than I am in Redraft. Yeah, and isn't the worst thing ever when your running back goes down and the guy that has the backup inevitably sends you that ridiculous trade offer? Yeah, he won't give him up. He won't give him up. You try to work out something fair, but he just will not give him up, and then he's laughing. I talked about this in the last show, that this assumption that you could just go out in Dynasty Leagues and acquire any player you want is a fallacy. A lot of players are illiquid. There's not just a marketplace that has prices set. It doesn't work like that. It's not the stock market. That's why I object so strongly to the stock market jargon that gets thrown around so often. (laughs) It's not a marketplace at all. Now, after the draft was over, you're looking across the landscape at the NFL, and you know we've already talked about the big winners on the Ravens. Those incumbent Ravens receivers were big winners. All those players on the Bucks were big winners. Give me a contrarian incumbent winner and one contrarian incumbent loser from the NFL draft. Right. Well, I don't know if he's going to be very contrarian for much longer, but Pierre Garçon in San Francisco, uh, you know, this is a team that I, I thought and, and they did draft a number of offensive skill players, but they did not address the wide receiver position until round five of the draft. They actually took a tight end before a wide receiver in that same round. And the guy they took was Trent Taylor from Louisiana Tech, a tiny and kind of apropos Jeremy Curley clone, uh, his most comparable player on player profiler. Is he really? His best comparable is Jeremy Curley? Yes. I love it when that happens, man. That happens so frequently with these best comparable players. Ah, oh, so apropos. He's no threat to Pierre Garçon. No, not at all. Um, you know, he's a, a you know what looks like a contingency plan for for Curly and Garçon. You know, pretty reasonable, I think, for a guy who is you know pretty much guaranteed to be a, a number one target on his team. On Fantasy Pros, I referenced them earlier. He's wide receiver thirty nine. Uh, everybody playing on MFL ten agrees right now. He's wide receiver forty one there. Uh, he goes at pick 85. And what I like about this situation as well is Brian Hoyer. 
He's going after Devontae Parker. Well, I don't know. I mean, Devon, <laughs> the hype on Parker is, it seems like it's going to get out of control. I mean, every day it's... It's crazy. I can't believe he's going after Kelvin Benjamin, after Corey Coleman, after Devontae Parker. What the fuck? Yeah, it's crazy. And I mentioned Brian Hoyer, and people are laughing. Oh, my terrible. But, I mean, you take a look at this guy. He loves to lock on to one receiver. Uh, in, back in, in 2014, in Cleveland, Andrew Hawkins, he just signed today with New England. But little Andrew Hawkins got 800 yards with Brian Hoyer. That season that we love from DeAndre Hopkins, 2015, that's Brian Hoyer. Nearly 200 targets over 1,500 yards. And, of course, this is where you can do your dance. Cam Meredith last year, Brian Hoyer. Right. Brian Hoyer loves to lock into that number one wide receiver and just feed his alpha. So that's Pierre Garçon. Pierre Garçon is by far and away the best wide receiver in that passing game at the moment. There's a very large gap between Pierre Garçon and the next wide receiver in the passing game, which I think is Jeremy Curley. Jeremy Curley is technically the number two option in that passing game as of today. That's a huge margin. Right. To go from Pierre Garçon to Jeremy Curley. It's one of the widest margins in the NFL. It's wider than the margin you have in Tampa Bay between Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. That gap is smaller. It's a wider gap than what you have in New York with Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall. It's a wide disparity between Pierre Garçon and the next wide receiver on that target totem pole. Man, Pierre Garçon could get 120-plus targets this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great situation. Yeah, it's either Curly or maybe it's the fullback uh, use check. I don't know. I think both Garçon and Curly will end up being great values this year because Curly is barely being drafted and he's the number two option for a team that may have a better offense than most expected. Now, what's the one contrarian loser from the NFL draft, that incumbent that isn't happy with what his team did on draft day? Yeah, here's here's a guy who just saw a bunch of targets get vaporized by a bunch of rookies, including his inevitable replacement. And I really wish I could do a Donald Trump impersonation here to call him a loser, uh, but it's Delaney Walker. He's 33 years ah. old. They just saw his team take Corey Davis in the first, Taiwan Taylor, and I mentioned his replacement, Jonu Smith, in the third round. Is it Taiwan or Taiwan? Oh, it is Taiwan. What did I say? I think, I think you said Taiwan, like made in Taiwan. Oh, I think he's made in America. Right. Back in the 80s, everything was made in Taiwan. People don't remember this, but now... So many goods are made in China. Before everything was made in China, it was made in Taiwan. Yeah. So it's not Taiwan, though. It's Taiwan. <laughs> it is Taiwan. So Walker, I mean, the age has kind of crept up on us. You know, he played seven years in San Francisco. How old is he? Uh, he's going to be 33 when the season starts. Whoa, what? Yeah. So, you know, it's been a nice ride. He's had three straight seasons of 100-plus targets and at least 800 yards. Never been a, a big touchdown scorer, but, you know, he's, he's been a, a good option. Uh, you know, there in Tennessee. And, and Jonah Smith is, is interesting. Again, this is, you know, they just took him in the third round. So that's, you know, plenty of draft capital to, uh, you know, to suggest that they like him, you know, quite a, quite a big deal. Jonu Smith going in the third round was just as surprising as Adam Shaheen going in the second round. But Jonu Smith, he looks good. I mean, we love Evan Ingram, right? First round pick Evan Ingram. Well, Jonu Smith is 10 pounds heavier than Evan Ingram, and he's just as explosive. Yeah, and, and this is where I can do my Matt Kelly impersonation. A 91st percentile college dominator. 
He broke out at Oof. age eight. <laughs> he broke out at age eighteen. That is one hundredth percentile. Eighteen flat. Yep, yep. You can't wow. do any better. Yeah, can't do any better than that. You can't. You actually can't. That is correct. And a ninety-second percentile Spark X athlete. And wow. even though he played all four years of college international, he will only be twenty-two years old when the season starts. So he's got some experience. Uh, as much experience as you can get in college. Oh. Yeah, and still very young. So it's it's a, a pretty good situation from him. So I was talking to Ben Cummins. He's also a writer for playerprofiler.com on the last show. And we were talking about recency bias and how that can skew the perception of players, especially players that had an exceptional second half of the season in 2016 or imploded in the second half of 2016. Either way, what's that one player you think that's most irrationally infused with recency bias across all formats right now? Well, these are these are two I mean, these are two pretty expensive running backs that you you banged on quite a bit. Jordan Howard and Jay Jai, they're going 11th and 13th in drafts and I just can't take them in the top 15. So those guys are going in the first round, not just the top 10 running backs, but the first round. Yeah, we're extremely early in the second, you know. Oh, my God. Well, now, I have Jay Ajayi going at the end of the second round. Hmm. Okay. I have Jay Ajayi going in the end of the second round. Either way, Jay Ajayi in the second round, that's terrifying. You know, in the Jordan Howard situation, you know, we liked the offensive line. It was very good. But, you know, let, let's see that again. Let's see it happen again. Um, you know, and Mike Lennon is a downgrade. I just mentioned Brian Hoyer. I think Glennon is is a significant downgrade. And the thing that doesn't really get talked about in Chicago at all is losing Alshon Jeffrey. You know, we talk about, oh, well, it's just a switching quarterback. No, they've also lost a very key component in the passing game. There's really no reason to respect this offense at all. So when an opposing defensive coordinator is planning to face the Chicago Bears, really the only thing you need to do is stop Jordan Howard. Correct. Look at these running backs in the top 30. Lamar Miller is being drafted in the top 30. Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, Jay Ajayi, Jordan Howard, all in the top 30. What is happening? Those are all trap running backs. Those are all traps. They're all traps. Yeah, Lamar Miller, I I don't get it. Lamar Miller in the top 40? (laughs) What are you thinking, people? He wasn't good last year. He's never been a bell cow back in his entire career. They just drafted Dante Foreman. Uh, 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 hello? Hello? Yeah, I don't know. People just didn't learn their lesson last year, and they're coming back for more, you know, with Lamar Miller. They're masochists. This is what people are. They're masochists. They must be. There's no other explanation. It's pure masochism to take Lamar Miller at slot 27. That's where he's going on MFL 10s. That's impossible. It's baffling. <laughs> yeah, he's running back 12, and just a couple picks before him is, is Fournette. So, yeah, these are, uh, I don't know. I mean, once, once we get past these first couple of running backs, you know, the, the big three, it, 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 it becomes a nightmare super, super quick. Joe Mixon's in the top 40? He's a rookie. And the Bengals don't have a good offensive line anymore. The Bengals are going to have one of the worst offensive lines in football. And Giovanni Bernard is still there. So, what are you doing drafting Joe Mixon in the top 40? This is absurd. 
Marshawn Lynch in the top 50? Mark Ingram in the top 50? Is Mark Ingram going to have a role in New Orleans? What's happening? All these running backs are traps. All of them. This is why you either go zero RB or you draft one of the big three running backs, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott in the first round, and then just hammer on wide receivers in rounds two through six. You do not risk stepping on one of these running back trap doors in round two through five. It's a minefield. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know... It's 0.3 running back. If you can't get one of the big three, you just go, you know, you just go right, uh, go right to your wide receivers. 0.3 running back. I like that. I like that a lot. Now we talked about Leonard Fournette. His redraft ADP is a joke. But is there a rookie out there that you believe is being significantly undervalued by the fantasy public? I do, but I think I'm gonna have to put on my gloves put in my mouthpiece here because i know you don't like this guy Uh-oh. it's joe williams <laughs> it's joe williams joe williams huh now this is contingent on a couple of things now he is getting a great deal of hype but if you can get him in the late second round or as i did in, in the patron uh, league that i'm in i was able to get him uh at uh, with the eighth pick in the third round i love that eighth pick in the third round he's not going there in any leagues that aren't two quarterback or super flex Right. The situation I got him in, I love. Again, you know, for, for those in, in a you know, more conventional setup, if you can get him in the late second, if you've done some trading. Do you know that Joe Williams is going in MFL 10s right now before Deion Lewis, before Rex Burkhead, before Charles Sims, before Jonathan Williams? Yeah, I don't think he makes any sense at all. And, and What are these people thinking? Yeah, as much as I like him, I, I like him as... They have a crystal ball. They know that Carlos Hyde's going to get hurt. This is madness. Yeah, I mean, Hyde hasn't been, you know, the, the picture of health over his career. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think he really makes any sense in, in redraft or in MFL 10s. You know, it's it's in a dynasty situation where I like him. You know, he's not a pass catcher. He's already He's going to be 24 years old when the season starts. Joe Williams is being drafted 40 slots ahead of Jeremy McNichols in redraft right now. That is a joke. That is hilarious. That is comical. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense because, I mean, you could see, you know, you could see a very clear role, you know, if they're going to phase out Charles Sims, if he's not healthy, if they get rid of him, whatever the case is. Doug Martin suspended. Right. We can see we can see a role for McNichols immediately. Immediately. Yeah, whereas Joe Williams isn't going to, there's really no situation where he's going to get meaningful carries. If he beats out Matt Breida, if he beats out Matt Breida, are we sure he's going to beat out Matt Breida? I'm not sure. Matt Breida is an incredible athlete. 138.4, 100th percentile burst score, upper percentile agility score, incredibly fast. Matt Breida, 5'9", 195. He looks like the complimentary scat back to Carlos Hyde's between the tackles pounder roll in San Francisco. On passing downs, I want Matt Breida back there. I don't want Joe Williams. Get out of here. Joe Williams 
He's not a pass catcher. His college target share was under 5% last year. So he is also a between-the-tackles grinder, but he's only 210 pounds, and he's not particularly agile. So he's not going to be an asset on a team that doesn't have an efficient run-blocking unit any more than the unagile Latavius Murray would be behind that atrocious Minnesota run-blocking offensive line. Yeah, people are getting into Joams really in the, in the wrong situation and, and too early. He's a guy... You know, like I said, if you can get him in those scenarios in a dynasty situation, if you can put him on taxi for this year, and then you see what happens with Carlos Hyde in the final year of his deal, you know, see what happens there. You know, the, the one thing I like a lot, there was a tweet that Graham Barfield put out. Uh, Joe Williams created uh, the fifth most yards per attempt on off-tackle carries. Uh, Graham Barfield did some some uh, some tape analysis. Wow, Graham, that's pretty specific, buddy. <laughs> it is. But Kyle, Kyle Shanahan is a guy that loves using the outside outside zone running. So there's definitely a fit there. But, you know, you, you mentioned Brita. They also, in, in the middle of the draft, they also made a trade with Denver for Capri Bibbs. So they're they're just accumulating these. Oh, come on. Not Capri Bibbs. No, I'm not a Joe Williams fan, but fuck if I'm going to be touting Capri Bibbs over Joe Williams. Absolutely not. I like Joe Williams more than Capri Bibbs. But I want to see him beat out Matt Breida, who is a superior athlete and a better fit for what they need in San Francisco, an electric satellite back. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Breida, his senior season, you know, I don't, I haven't looked too much into it, but after two big sophomore and junior seasons, didn't really do much as a senior. So I, I don't know what the situation was there. He was one of the most productive running backs through his first two seasons in the history of college football. Matt Breida should have been drafted. It was a strange cratering that happened in his final year. He should have come out the year before. He didn't. He paid the price. But this is how teams find great value in undrafted free agents with players like Matt Breida. Now, I talked about some topics from some previous shows We've had some polarizing conversations about Antonio Brown, and the idea of trading him in Dynasty has bothered some people, but it's also intrigued others. So when you're looking at Antonio Brown, would you consider trading him if you owned him in Dynasty? I mean, there's a, I don't think anybody is necessarily untouchable, uh, so I, mean, I could certainly see some situations where, where it's viable. I mean, I, I think the concern would be, you know, if you're out there putting him on the block, you know, other people are seeing headlines about Ben Roethlisberger only giving a, a one-year commitment, going year to year, you know, whatever the latest quote from Roethlisberger is. So, you know, people might smell what's going on here and are going to kind of look at you a little bit sideways if you're talking about trading Antonio Brown. But there's definitely a situation, you know, I could see where, where it's possible. Uh, you know, I basically, what I would do is just take a look at, you know, my top 10 receivers and then just go roster by roster, owner by owner, and see see if there's a fit there you know i would i would like to take a, a ppr friendly satellite back like a theo riddick i know you like duke johnson a lot um you know maybe even danny woodhead mike gillisley is a guy that's super interesting he doesn't fit that ppr mold but a guy that i certainly would like to take a shot on this year so i could couple a wide receiver i like with one of those running backs and then you know work out something with an exchange of draft picks as well you know maybe there's a package there to be had um, you know, my concern, like I said, though, would just be, you know, we're not the only ones that are aware of what's going on with Roethlisberger. So somebody might be trying to get a discount there or might be worried themselves. 
the only trade that made sense that I could find where you weren't exchanging, you know, one consensus tier one receiver for another consensus tier one wide receiver was Antonio Brown for Doug Baldwin plus. And that Doug Baldwin plus would be plus a lot, plus one or multiple first round picks and sleeper running backs that we talked about. But it could make sense. I traded Julio Jones at the peak of his powers a couple years ago, and it worked out very, very well because one of the sleeper running backs I had included in the trade was David Johnson! (laughs) (laughs) And you are hosting a Roto Underworld Dynasty Startup Mock Draft, and you'll be rolling out an article breaking it down once it's concluded. That draft went David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Ezekiel Elliott, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, A.J. Green, Brandon Cooks, DeAndre Hopkins. Those were the first 12 players off the board. Antonio Brown ended up getting drafted after David Johnson. Of course, I I agreed with that. Drafting David Johnson with that first pick overall. Talk about this dynasty startup. It's super flex. Who's in it? And let's go round by round and talk about some of the interesting picks. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we we got sort of a who's who's list of uh, yeah people who are uh, you know yourself obviously some other people uh, behind the scenes at, at Roto Underworld. I am on the who's who list. That's true. <laughs> yes, and uh, you entrusted me with uh, the contact information for uh, for some pretty uh, some big uh, rollers here. So uh, we've got Ryan McDowell. Ryan McDowell's the man at Dynasty League Football. Right. We've got Jacob Rickroad. Jacob Rickroad is the Dynasty guru at Rotoviz. We've got JJ Zacharyson. His brand goes without saying. Absolutely. Uh, we've got uh, Rich Rebar. Congratulations to him. Now a full-time guy at, at Roto World. So. The hardest working man in fantasy. Rich is the best. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Roto World, we have Pat Doherty. Oh, Pat Doherty, best sense of humor in all of fantasy football. And he invited me onto the Roto World Dynasty Startup Mock. And, of course, the Podfather does. I know how to return a favor. (laughs) Uh, Then from Roto Underworld, uh, we've got Nick Coder and Craig Womble. You can't forget Nate Liss. Yes, Nate, yes, Nate. Well, yeah, I was going to do him separately and then... uh, uh, Pat Corain, uh, who I got to meet along, uh, although uh, Peter Overs, that's not in this league. I got to meet uh, him and Pat. Uh, I helped out with the Broathlon. Which- oh, we were going to invite Peter, but Mans we should have invited, though. Mans would have been a great invite. We we fucked up not inviting Pete Manzanelli. That's a huge oversight. And then uh, finally, John Moore of, of uh, Pro Football Focus, formerly uh, Rotoviz. John Moore is the man. John Moore is not as visible as he once was at Rotoviz, and but I love him. And I always want to make sure that we are elevating John Moore whenever possible because this guy is a wizard when it comes to evaluating college prospects, in particular wide receivers. So I thought he was an incredible guy to have in this Dynasty Startup mock. Woof! Wow! What a roster of ringers we got. Yeah, so it's it's a, a bit of a gauntlet. So yeah, I picked seventh overall. Uh, I ranked Julio. I, I, so I ranked my top seven guys. Julio was number seven, and that of course is who I ended up with in, in the first. Yeah, no one was going to give you anybody. No breaks. I got Amari Cooper. I and was happy exact- with Amari Cooper at eight. That was fine with that. 
And then I did my thing. I got my signature building block wide receiver, and then I just hammered down on the running backs because that's what I love to do in Dynasty Leagues. Robust running back. Yeah, and Cooper, I mean, that's exactly what I would have done in slot eight as well. So, uh, yeah, it you know, it, it pretty much that that first round essentially mirrored what I you know would have uh, would I would have you know pretty much uh, ranked out myself. So, yeah, I have sort of a schizophrenic team. Um, so I have of Julio I mentioned, I have very very young running backs with Todd Gurley and Derrick Henry, uh, and then in the fifth and sixth, this, again this is a super flex. I went very very old at quarterback with Tom Brady, and then. Drew Brees was still there in the sixth, and I just wow. had to do it. I can't believe in Superflex he was still there. Yeah. So, and then in the seventh, the last what I what I would consider the last top, last top tier tight end. That's hard to say. Uh, Tyler Eifert. No, you did great, man. You have a great. Well, I contributed to Drew Brees's precipitous fall. I took Michael Crabtree in the sixth round, and then you took Drew Brees right after because I needed a wide receiver, man. I needed a wide receiver, and Michael Crabtree was the last reliable target hog wide receiver that you can trust that's not in his early 30s yet. So I felt like I had to get Michael Crabtree. Also, because I love wide receiver tandems, just like I love running back tandems in Dynasty, wanted to lock up those Derek Carr targets, getting Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. I was willing to punt quarterback down, 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 down. It seemed every round I found a guy I really wanted, and I just couldn't push the button on a quarterback, and I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And I didn't draft a quarterback until round eight. So I ended up starting with Amari Cooper. Then I drafted Melvin Gordon, Christian McCaffrey, Tevin Coleman. So I locked up my running back core. Then I realized, okay, it's time to get some more wide receivers. Willie Sneed in the fifth round, Michael Crabtree in the sixth round. Happy with that. My wide receivers are on efficient offenses. My running backs operate in efficient offenses. So I like that about my team. You can't say the same with Todd Gurley. And then Eli Manning was the last of the possibly prolific quarterbacks on the board. Rich Rebar was playing the same game that I was. We were essentially playing chicken. Who was going to be the last team to draft a wide receiver? He took Tyrod Taylor two slots ahead of where I took Eli Manning. The interesting thing that I saw here, if you scroll down to the ninth round, after I had Eli Manning locked up, Three wide receivers, four running backs, Eli Manning. I was preparing to take a tight end, and I just imagined that I would get Jimmy Graham. I've been drafting Jimmy Graham in many leagues because I think he has a couple huge years coming with Russell Wilson. He's still in his early 30s. So I expected to get Jimmy Graham in the ninth round. Guess what happened? Jacob Rickrode from Rotoviz drafted Jimmy Graham, and I was left with Greg Olson. That was surprising to me. And how many drafts do you see Jimmy Graham getting taken ahead of Greg Olson? It's very rare. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that, yeah, that one is is a bit surprising. Yeah, I mean Olson's been a very consistent guy in it. You know, year in year out. Whereas you know Graham, you know, when you go back and look at his stats from last year, I think they're a little bit better than we remember, but. You know, it hasn't really been, a, you know, in addition to his injury, it hasn't really been a, a super great fit in Seattle. For some reason, they're obsessed with actually using him like a real tight end. Uh, so it's just sort of a, a weird situation there. 
look at some of these players that went ahead of Kenny Britt in the 11th round, because that's who I drafted in the 11th round. I needed my fourth wide receiver, and I desperately wanted Kenny Britt. He was the only player I had queued up. And then I see Tyler Lockett go off the board, Dante Foreman go off the board, Eric Ebron, Sam Bradford, Adam Thielen. And then you took Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams was a fine pick there. I was between Tyrell Williams and Kenny Britt, but I was shocked that Kenny Britt was there at pick 128. Yeah, I mean, round round 10, right before our picks there, was a big run on rookies. Um, you know, We have Zay Jones, Juju, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Joku went, uh, O.J. Howard. I have Kenny Britt ranked ahead of all of those guys in Dynasty Startups. Yeah, I, I would as well. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like, hey, we're out of single-digit rounds. Let's go crazy on rookies. So... I was proud of us, though. As a collective, I was proud that we did not let rookie fever sweep over us until round 10. Finally, you saw that. In round 10, everyone just said, ah, fuck it. Let's get excited about some rookies. Yeah, once those double-digit rounds, yeah, just everything gets gets thrown out the window. And, yeah, you mentioned the Tyrell Williams pick. I, I took uh, Keenan Allen in the second, so I sort of copied that, that uh, Amari and Crabtree formula that you have there. Yeah, the tandem. Love these tandems, man. Yeah, I mean, my situation's a little bit different because Keenan Allen, while I don't think his injuries are related in any way, you know, it is it is still, you know, a little bothersome when you, when you take a look at his, you know, career career game logs and, you know, you see those big, you know, those big gaping holes there. Uh, so if anything were to happen, if, you know, if more misfortune were to happen to him, um, you know, pretty, you know, I'm still right there, right in the game with, uh, with Tyrell in the 11th. So at this point in the draft, we're in round 12. My roster as of this moment, Eli Manning, Brian Hoyer at quarterback, Tevin Coleman, Melvin Gordon, Christian McCaffrey, Ty Montgomery, Bilal Powell at running back, Kenny Britt, Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed at wide receiver, and Greg Olson at tight end. I need wide receivers. But I have to tell you, I'm very tempted to draft the player we talked about earlier, Marlon Mack. I may continue to punt wide receiver into the future in order to stockpile running backs because once a player like Mack is off the board, there are very few running backs I'm at all interested in, but there are a lot of wide receivers at this point and for the next few rounds that I love. Give me Cole Beasley all day, but I'm going to wait. Yeah, I think that, that Mac pick, I think, would make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm just taking a look here as if I was going to queue up my, my next pick. And based on the... Wait, are you drafting ahead of me? Did I just give this away? No, 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 no. I meant not Marlon Mack. I meant, uh, I meant Frank Gore. Sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. You are drafting ahead of me. You're drafting a slot ahead of me. This is a mess. I didn't mean Marlon. I didn't mean... No, no, not Marlon Mack. No, I meant... Uh, 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 Rob Kelly. Rob Kelly. That was who I meant. Yeah, he actually he's actually going a pick ahead of Marlon Mack in uh, in MFL. Oh come on! That can't be possible. <laughs> no, and so Adrian Peterson, Latavius Murray, Rob Kelly, and then Marlon Mack. That's that's the way it goes. In the Latavius Murray's being drafted ahead of Marlon Mack in MFL tens. All of you are out of your fucking minds. It's just, it's a good, it's such a great situation. I mean, we talked to, you know, before the combine and, and McCaffrey really just blew everything up. The the dream was him either in New Orleans or Indianapolis. And then here Indianapolis goes ahead and takes the running back and there's barely any reaction. It's just, it's very, very weird. 
How has the Dynasty League community not fallen in love with Marlon Mack at this point? I just don't understand it. Marlon Mack was the number one high school recruit at the running back position, and he shocked everyone by signing with South Florida. He was a better player coming out of high school than Dalvin Cook, and at the college level, you could argue that he was almost as productive and he was a much better athlete at the NFL scouting combine. Yet, Dalvin Cook is being drafted in the first round, even though he landed on the Minnesota Vikings, an efficiency void on the offensive side of the football, and Marlon Mack lands in Indianapolis, and it doesn't move the needle. So bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. And if, and if you want to do sort of a, a rookie-to-rookie comparison, what I don't understand is the love affair. Again, we don't like Marlon Mack, but we love Kareem Hunt. And are we that sure that Spencer Ware is just ethered by this pick? No, no, no. Spencer Ware is fine. Right. Look where Spencer Ware is going in MFL 10s. Spencer Ware is going in the top 50 players in MFL 10s. Yeah, and, and you know, for you know, for for dynasty picks, you know, where can be a factor here for for this year, for next year, we don't know that to be the case at all with Frank Gore. In all likelihood, this is it, and you know, Marlon Mack can certainly be. You know, Gore's not the receiver that he that he was, and you know, like we talked about with Procise, you know, trying to save the life of your, your quarterback, that's really been the the cardinal sin that's been missing, you know, from from Indianapolis for quite some time. And here they finally have solved the problem with with getting a receiving back in Marlon Mack. And again, it just, I don't know. It doesn't move the needle in the community. I don't understand it. Hype is so fickle in fantasy football. It's something I will never understand. I could not predict which players will get hype. Looking back a day after the draft, that Kareem Hunt pick didn't move the needle with me at all. The idea that Kareem Hunt would be being drafted ahead of Marlon Mack would have been absurd. Just the thought of it after the draft but here we are now give me one deep sleeper wide receiver that you can't leave one of these seasonal drafts without selecting at the end of the draft you can't say ted ginn everybody says ted ginn you're not allowed to say ted ginn right yeah ten ginn uh yeah we've heard we've heard that name a lot can't say Kamar Aiken. Everyone says Kamar Aiken or Ted Ginn. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Mike Wallace. The... Nah, Mike Wallace is getting drafted too early now. Mike Wallace's ADP is rising. Mike Wallace's value season is over. Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, Ben Cummings, I believe his, uh, his truth or status guy was Robert Woods. And that is the guy that I really like a lot uh, at the end of these drafts. And, you know, we talked about Pierre Garçon being really the, the bona fide, unquestioned guy that's going to lead his team in targets. That's the situation, I believe, with Robert Woods as well. What about Cooper Cup, Eric? What about Cooper Cup? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> the Rams are building this this uh, very. You know, I don't know how many you know slot type receivers they. they I don't know. This is a very robust checkdown offense that they're assembling. But yes. you know, for me, it's it's Robert Woods. You know, really a silent wide receiver one on his team. He's going just inside the top 60 wide receivers uh, after pick 160 overall. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think that's just a phenomenal value. You know, he could very, you know, very sneakily get a 1,000-yard season. You know, touchdowns, uh, you know, probably not going to get a ton. But if he can, you know, sneak his way to maybe four, five, six touchdowns, that's, you know, a, a really good season for a guy that's not really going to cost you very much. The only risk with Robert Woods is that Farrow Cooper is actually the number one wide receiver in that passing game. That's possible, by the way. 
I think it's going to be Robert Woods. I'm projecting it to be Robert Woods, but I like Farrow Cooper. Farrow Cooper is absolutely good enough to seize that job if given the opportunity. Farrow Cooper's dominator rating at South Carolina, 43.1%, 86th percentile, broke out at 19.5, so great breakout age, not athletic, but his profile looks strikingly similar to Willie Sneed's. So he could be Willie Sneed West, and Willie Sneed is certainly better than Robert Woods. So there's a chance that Pharaoh Cooper ends up seizing that job. That's the only risk in Robert Woods. Pierre Garçon does not have that risk. There's no one on that target totem pole yeah, it's... that would threaten him in any way whatsoever. What about a running back? Give me a running back that you're drafting in the final couple rounds. Well, we just talked about Marlon Mack, and I mean, he's running back 57 in your pick 169. Nice. That's fine with me. Again, you know, this is a situation in Indianapolis tailor-made for a guy like this that can catch the ball. Go deeper. Go deeper, Eric. Can't get away with just saying Marlon Mack. Go deeper. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, you're making me work here. This was on the show sheet. And what? Well, I had Marlon Mack in this slot, and... Uh... Now, we already talked about him. you got to be nimble, Eric. You said it yourself, Eric. This is your big shot. This is the Howard Stern show for fantasy football analysts. And you're blowing it, Eric. You're blowing it! Oh, no. Let's see here. You'll edit this out, right? <laughs> uh... The answer is Shane Vereen. The answer is Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen's ADP on MyFantasyLeague.com, MFL 10s, 225! He's going after Wayne Gallman and Jalen Richard and Jaquiz Rogers. Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen has been one of the most efficient running backs in all phases over the last five years. It's just that he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to run between the tackles and be a primary back. But if he was ever going to get the opportunity, it's this year where the only other running backs in that backfield are replacement level Wayne Gallman and replacement level Paul Perkins. Wayne Gallman and Paul Perkins are the quintessential replacement level running backs at the NFL level. They're not special in any way. Yet Shane Vereen is a truly special pass catcher, and I believe he's their equal between the tackles. Why not Shane Vereen? Why not? Yeah, I could certainly get on board with Vereen. Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, the Giants, you know, it just seems every year their their drafts are mm, questionable, let's say. And, uh, yeah, this was a team that really was, was screaming for help at the running back position and, and really did not address it, you know, early enough. And, yeah, so, yeah, Vereen, it, it makes sense. I mean, this is a team that, uh, you know, has is, is loaded up certainly their intentions. It looks like is going to want to throw the ball even more. They're going to score a lot of points, man. You want players on teams that score a lot of points. In fantasy doesn't have to be hard. The Lions are going to score a lot of points, too. And there's some Amir Abdullah buzz that's starting to percolate. It's faint, but you can start to hear it. It's getting louder. It's getting louder and louder, and you can start to hear more and more people talking about Amir Abdullah. Is that buzz justified? I don't really think so. Um, I mean, this is a team with Detroit that, you know, if you look at how they're assembled, wants to throw the football. And, you know, even if Amir Abdullah, you know, we saw as a rookie – when he played all 16 games, Theo Riddick was still a huge part of that offense. Nearly got to 100 targets. He caught 80 balls. So let's let the Amir Abdullah hype get out of control. Let it push Theo Riddick further and further down. You know, he's a guy 
we, we all play in PPR leagues at this point, and Theoretic is absolutely tailor-made for that. So somebody wants to take Amir Abdullah, that's great, that's fine. I'll wait a couple rounds, I'll come in, I'll grab Theoretic, and let's hope, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, Theoretic is going in the same slot as Paul Perkins. Yeah. I, you can get him after Eddie Lacy, after Bilal Powell, after Derrick Henry, who doesn't have a role that I can see. Weird, man. Get me Theoretic. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And we want Riddick, you know, catching the ball. We don't want him getting those carries. So if, if Abdullah does stay healthy, if he's efficient, you know, let's let him help move that offense. You know, short th- second down, short third downs, convert it, move the sticks, get Theoretic back on the field and catching passes. God, he was so electric last year. Yeah, and yeah, we saw an uptick for, for him in the passing game. He went from five receptions per game up to 5.3 last year. His targets went from 6.2 up to 6.7. They might go higher. They don't have a number three wide receiver in that passing game other than rookie Kenny Galladay. Anquan Bolden is gone. You could envision Theoretic absorbing a significant number of those vacated Anquan Bolden targets. This could be a career year for Theoretic. He's in his super prime right now looking at copious vacated targets. Ah, this is exciting. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yes, I want to match your level of excitement with Theoretic because, yeah, I absolutely love it. And, you know, when he went down... You asked me to put Theoretic in the show sheet. <laughs> I put this I entire show sheet together, yes. and Theoretic was the one guy you asked me to add, and you can't match my enthusiasm for the one guy you wanted added to this show? <laughs> uh, no, there's a big smile on my face, trust me. I, I definitely love Theoretic. Yeah, when he went down, uh, essentially all those targets transferred over to Golden Tate. So be a little bit careful with, with Golden Tate. He's a guy that I like, and I know you like a lot as well. But a lot of his double-digit target games all came after Theoretic went, which really shows how much they, they depend on this guy. They want to pepper targets to Theoretic all day in all situations. Why not? He's awesome. He's just great. Yeah. And the NFL is skewing more pass-heavy than ever before, and that just means more Theoretic. It also means less LeGarrette Blunt on the field in Philadelphia. LeGarrette Blunt's ADP is going to be rising very quickly in the next couple weeks because he led the NFL in touchdowns last season with 18. But that's not a function of LeGarrette Blunt's ability. It's a function of the New England Patriots team as a whole. The fact that they were leading in so many second halves and decided to run the ball to milk the clock. And the offense in particular was incredibly efficient, visited the red zone a lot, gave the ball to LeGarrette Blunt on the goal line, and he punched it in. I mean, it's just how fantasy points are created. The running back position generally is very situation-based, and now LeGarrette Blunt's on Philadelphia. That's not New England. It's not known for being an efficient offense. You can think, oh, best-case scenario, they acquired Torrey Smith, they acquired Alshon Jeffrey. Carson Wentz going into his second year, going to take a big leap forward. It's wheels up for Philadelphia. Eh, yeah, come on. That's a long shot. But LeGarrette Blunt's arrival does mean it's game over for Wendell Smallwood, right? I mean, we can move on from Wendell Smallwood and Dynasty at this point. Right. You ask, yeah, you ask, is it, was it game over for Wendell Smallwood? I don't know if it was ever game on for Wendell Smallwood. People love Wendell Smallwood. The only reason I'm asking this question is because people love Wendell Smallwood, and I don't understand why. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
Do you remember the buzz around Wendell Smallwood last offseason? Am I making that up? Was I imagining this? I don't know. He's not a guy that ever excited me. Well, I know he didn't excite you, but was there not significant buzz around Wendell Smallwood last offseason? Were we not traded to multiple Wendell Smallwood gifs every fucking day <laughs> during minicamp and training camp and preseason? Yeah, I think any anytime you're the guy playing behind Ryan Matthews, you know, you just assume that the part and, and that's the next guy up and, you know, he was just going to take over and be awesome. Wendell Smallwood, the guy with a 22.3% 33rd percentile college dominator rating. We have college dominator rating to expose running backs like Wendell Smallwood as not being primary back material in the NFL. Yeah, not hashtag good at football. And, and this is just an offense that, I don't know, I just, as a whole, I, I really just can't get very excited about, you know, Carson Wentz in his second year, and, you know, they're moving things around on him to bring in two new receivers. You know, I would imagine there's going to be... Yawn, yawn. You know, so there's going <laughs> to there's going to be some, some... Is it possible, though, that the LeGarrette Blunt signing actually helps Darren Sproles? I, it's, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, right? It's possible because now you have defined roles. Yeah, you have LeGarrette Blunt in your heavy packages, early down work, short yardage, and then you have Darren Sproles in all other situations. Yeah. I think signing LeGarrette Blunt means they will jettison Ryan Matthews and marginalize Wendell Smallwood, and that's good for Darren Sproles. Yeah, and the cost to acquire Sproles is, is minimal. He's uh, running back 45. Great value. Yeah, he's outside of the, the top 150 picks. Tremendous value. So, yeah, I mean, this is probably his final year. He turns 34 in, in June. Uh, last year was the first year uh, of his 11-year career, first time ever he had more rushing yards than receiving yards. So, you know, in fantasy, those count the same, and, and he's certainly a guy that can get us over 1,000 combined yards. I love old running backs this year. I don't know why. I'm buying Frank Gore. I'm buying Darren yep. Sproles. I'm buying Adrian Peterson, for Christ's sake. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm all in on these old running backs. Right. I mean, we we talked about it earlier. It's after you know after the big three. It's it's just a nightmare. So that's where we're going to take our wide receivers. So naturally, our, our roster construction is going to take us you know back to the running back position here you know later on. So yeah, it, it just makes sense. And really, everything is is just sort of fitting uh, you know fitting in perfectly. Yeah, running back tandems where you have one old running back and one young running back. Where you have Adrian Peterson and Alvin Kamara. Where you have Frank Gore and Marlon Mack. And then you can sprinkle in a Darren Sproles in there. And that's your zero RB roster, and I'm fine with it. Now, you talked about drafting wide receivers in rounds two through five. That's the wide receiver sweet spot. While others are drafting soon-to-bust running backs, we'll just be trolling along behind them, reeling in those high-floor wide receivers. But looking beyond that, in rounds 6 through 12, where we will be drafting our zero RB running backs, but we will also be alternating back and forth between taking some undervalued wide receivers. Who are your wide receiver targets in those middle rounds? Well, we mentioned a lot of them already. Uh, Woods, uh, Deshaun Jackson, I like a lot. Pierre Garçon, Mike Wallace, Kenny Britt, Ted Ginn. So those are guys that... Uh, Yes, at this point, we know Pierre Garçon. Of course, we know Mike Wallace. These are not secrets. Of course, we love Deshaun Jackson tethered to Jameis Winston. That's just common sense. 
Give us one more. Give us one we haven't thought of yet, Eric. So the other guy, and, and yeah, I, I wanted to get those out of the way because, yeah, those are certainly guys that we all see eye to eye on. But another guy in that range that I, I think is is interesting, guy who had just a complete disaster of a, of a nightmare of a train wreck season last year is Jeremy Macklin. Missed multiple games with a groin strain. Uh, he was, a once upon a time, a top 10 wide receiver in Philadelphia. Still was pretty solid his first year in, in Kansas City, a top 20 guy. He just turned 29, which is hard to think about because, you know, Jeremy Macklin, we, we figure he's, he's a guy that's, you know, well over the cliff. But no, just turned 29. And, uh, you know, if you read interviews with him, he is super committed to, to having a really good bounce back this season. Just got married and, and put off his honeymoon in order to show up for OTA. So I really, really like that commitment. You're kidding, right? What? You're kidding. Which part? You're giving him credit for postponing his honeymoon because he has a job to do? Sure, it's voluntary. Come on, it's voluntary in quotes. You know, he didn't have to do this, uh, but he showed up. But anyway. We like Jeremy Macklin because he showed up. No, that is... Uh, that We're not buying Jeremy Macklin because of some narrative that he decided to work hard this offseason as if he doesn't work hard every offseason. Come on, Eric. What else you got on Jeremy Macklin? Well, I gave you that... <laughs> I give you the other stuff, but what really excites me about Macklin uh, is if they do make the transition from Alex Smith and unleash Patrick Mahomes, a huge beneficiary of that is going to be Jeremy Macklin. My favorite wide receivers to target are the number one options in passing games that many believe are not the number one options that are hidden, the concealed number one wide receivers and the best camouflaged number one wide receivers are those that are lurking beneath rookies that are assumed to supplant them. This is quite a buildup. You have me very uh, intrigued here. I'm talking about wide receivers like Rashard Matthews. Rashard Matthews is the wide receiver I'm targeting in this zone because Rashard Matthews is the undisputed number one wide receiver in that passing game. He certainly was last year, 729 air yards, 13th in the NFL. His 12 red zone receptions was number seven in the NFL. And when you look back the last couple of years, look at our production premium metric, the situation agnostic efficiency metric that looks at every given down and distance. How did Rashard Matthews perform against league average on a per target basis last year? Plus 22.2, top 10 in the NFL. The year before that with Miami, plus 38, top three in the NFL. Look across those efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com for Rashard Matthews. Top 10 production premium, top 15 target premium, top 24 yards per target. This guy has demonstrated multi-year efficiency. So there's no reason to assume that he will be usurped in year one by a rookie, even a rookie that was drafted in the top 10 in the NFL draft. I think that assuming that Corey Davis will lead the Tennessee Titans in targets is a mistake. We'll be projecting Rashard Matthews to receive more targets than Corey Davis this season. I mean, Corey Davis is coming. I have no doubt that Corey Davis is the long-term answer at the X receiver position for the Tennessee Titans. He and Marcus Mariota will be making fantasy football music for years. But this year, 2017, this is Rashard Matthews' year.
Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Eric McClung. Is that how you say your name? That is how you say it. I didn't hear the uh, the doorbell chime. You don't hear that. That goes in after. I'll try it again. You're blowing it, Eric. You're blowing it! Theo Riddick was the one guy you asked me to add, and you can't match my enthusiasm for the one guy you wanted added to this show? You'll edit this out, right? <laughs> your, uh, your picture on Skype's pretty pretty terrifying. What? This is quite a build-up. You had me very uh, intrigued here. So I think Florida State thought they were going to get Mac, and then they didn't. He shocked everyone by signing with South Florida. The Frank Gore and Marlon Mack ADP, because the implied ADP of any backfield that's going to have a lot of red zone visits is X, and it's just a huge inefficiency. I think I think you said Taiwan, like made in Taiwan. Oh, I think he's made in America. You'll edit this out, right? <laughs> and Duke Johnson's like 208, but I think he can. Once you get under 210, then you have to start asking questions. Did he do it in college? With someone like Duke, yeah, it's relevant. You gotta you gotta look at the resume and think, oh yeah, look at that. The guy's the leading rusher in the University of Miami history. You wanted to get in there with your sexual innuendo that just became graphic sexual conversation, which is not something we typically do on the show. You'll edit this out, right? <laughs> this is Richard Matthews here. Yeah, I like it. And uh, yeah, he's still a pretty young dude. Uh, he's going to be only 28. Yeah, that-, that that could be the end of the show, right? Do you have a big truther that you wanted to get out? Uh, I don't know. Do quarterbacks count? No. So I'm glad we I'm glad we skipped it. <laughs> okay. Who was it? I like Brett Hundley. Oh, well, I'm glad we skipped it then. <laughs> You'll edit this out, right? <laughs> Crescendoed with uh, Rashard Matthews. Rashard Matthews, top 30 target share last year, and I think his targets are going to go up. Why wouldn't they? No more Kendall Wright in that passing game. And Tajay Sharp was exposed as being a less-than-replacement-level NFL wide receiver. I think he's made in America.